Mac Power Users, Episode 664, Mac OS Ventura and iPad OS 16. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing great. This new new Mac OS to talk about is always a fun day. Yeah, you know it is really fun. We, you know, this was a special one, right? We got to go to Cupertino, go to literally the mothership when this got announced, and you and I have been playing with it in the background, talking about it you know, sideways on the show for several months, but now everybody can download it and we can share our experiences and what we like about it. Um, I like it when these things go public and now everybody's using these features and you get to get a feel for how they really work. You know, when the whole world is able to, to, to plug into this stuff, Mm -hmm. there's a lot in this outline. (laughs) We have, uh, we, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a lot of info to drop on you today, gang. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have some exciting news, though, before we get to that. MPU merch is back just in time for the holidays. It's the Yay. first link in the show notes. Uh, this is a pre-order deal, so the store is only going to be open from October 31st to November 14th. So you've got two weeks there, and it is a return of the Classy T, which is, has the MPU battery icon embroidered on it really small, like on the on the chest, like a uh, and then we also have a hoodie and sweatshirt that are using the, sort of the same look. And I'm, I'm super pumped. Yeah. I mean, we, we did this what, a couple of years ago and I really liked it. I bought several, I've wore a couple out. I'm going to be replacing some t-shirts, but, uh, I wanted the sweater too. I mean, it's nice. Um, I have one, this is the same sweatshirt slash sweater, whatever you call it that, um, Cortex is using mm-hmm. it's it's great quality and uh, man I'm gonna I'm gonna like just be wearing this now I'm getting I'm getting several I think you know it's fun when we do these merch things to to share it with folks but it's also fun for me to buy this stuff yeah yeah absolutely go check it out good colors and uh, the other thing we got a lot of messages after that rant saying hey when is it going to start again here you go but it does run for a limited time because the quality of these things we can't just like continually print them or make them they're not even printed they're stitched um so definitely get in there you know we do hear always when these things end people saying well i missed out you know don't, mm-hmm. don't miss out just go get it now that's how it goes all right uh let's get into it uh mac os ventura people have stopped making fun of the name have you noticed that you know yep. that was like a thing for like a week and they got over it uh, i had to go up to ventura recently it's nice up there and I think uh, it's also nice on my Mac, so good for that. Uh, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of good content out though. People have been writing it up. Uh, we've got a bunch of links in the show notes, like the Apple feature list and uh, some of the uh, the reviews and and people who have been covering it. You know, I think Jason Snell probably did the best job of all the reviews I read of it. Um, that's the one I enjoyed the most. But uh, we're we're going to share all that, so you can go check it out. But what does it require uh, to get started? With Mac OS Ventura, where are the where are the shady lines, Stephen? Where uh, people with older Macs cannot not get on board? Yeah, so for the first time in a couple of years, the uh, system requirements have changed, uh, and so basically the short version is: no Mac from 2016 or earlier 
is supported. So um, you got to have a 2017 or newer machine. This cuts off quite a few iMacs and MacBooks and MacBook Pros and stuff from the, the previous years. But uh, if you are stuck on Monterey, for, for instance, it will, it will get critical security patches for the next two years. Uh, Big Sur, just one year because it's, it's like an N-2 year kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. 2017 and up, you are good to go. Yeah. I'm going to be really curious to see how these deadlines jive with uh, the future. And as Apple Silicon gets, starts getting old. Does that help extend the lifespan of these things? Do you think it will, or do you think it's still going to stay on this schedule of about five years? This seems like a short window for Ventura. Um, my uneducated guess is that, and uneducated in the sense that I don't know about Ventura, but a lot of previous Mac OS releases, this has been true, is that the some of the integrated graphics stuff can't drive some of the new visuals. So I don't know if that's the case here, but... Five years is on the shorter end. I mean, we've been trending closer to six to seven. But then again, like we have the Intel transition. That's a very complicated question right now. I don't really know uh, quite what I think, other than I think five years is too short. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I really think that's the case with Apple Silicon because, I mean, the time hasn't proven me. We haven't had time to prove this yet. But I really believe that the reliability model of the Macintosh is now going to be much closer to the iPad where they run forever because putting the entire system on a single chip um, with Apple's proven ability to make a single chip, as we've seen with the iPad, means that I think these things are going to have a long lifespan. You know, you're not going to have the the problems you historically have with Macs where like one component fails and then all of a sudden that cascades into, you know, you're buying a new Mac where you put everything on a single chip uh, there are iPads out there that are very old that are still running. And uh, this issue of, of comp- uh, compatibility with modern operating system, I think is going to become increasingly an issue as the Macs uh, are still running perfectly fine after multiple years. But that's just my theory. I guess uh, we'll know. I mean, Mac Powers is still going to be here. At some point, I'll be proven right or wrong. Because I'm not stopping. I don't care. Maybe it'll just be, you know, for my sister, but I'll be making the show. So, one way or the other. (laughs) You know, every time we get around to these updates, we talk about, you know, the problem with updating your operating system and the risks involved. Can we just downplay that? I I don't know. I, I feel like for so many years I've been talking about it. It sounds like the doom and gloom. But, you know, obviously, if you make money using your computer, and there's an app that you use to make your money, you should check out to make sure that works before you push the button. Yep. You know, uh, as an example, um, um, the um, uh, ScreenFlow, uh, which is an app I use to make money, uh, titling doesn't work with the new version of Mac OS, and I'm sure they'll have a patch very shortly. They always wait until the last minute because they don't want to fix it and then have to fix it again through the beta process. But, you know, if... Uh, if I didn't have a computer running the prior operating system, uh, I would not be able to ship those things. So obviously, um, that that affects my decision. But mm-hmm. for most people, that, that there aren't too many. I'm, are you aware of any apps that are just not working with macOS Ventura? I haven't come across anything that like won't launch or or work. Um, the only issues I ran over the summer were with you know high end audio applications, which is to be yeah. expected, right? 
honestly, I think after what was it, Catalina's like 32, 64 bit app yeah. break, since then it's been pretty smooth sailing. Again, I think the, my, I agree with you. Like if you make money on it, you really want to make sure that's that's good to go. And so that's cool. Flip side of that is th- we have a lot of outline here. There's a lot of new features to talk about, but it doesn't change the entire world about how you use your Mac either. So if you need to wait a little while, that's okay. You know, uh, you're missing out on some cool stuff, but y- you're not missing out. It's not like night and day changes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Mac OS, I think one of the beauties of the Mac operating system, and th- this goes way back, you know, to like tiger days, um, is that they iterate every year or two and last few years it's been every year, but they make small incremental changes that don't seem like a lot, but over time they are. And yeah. uh, I think that is probably the way to do it. You know, for so long uh, windows, you know, Microsoft would wait years and years, but then they would have this revolutionary new operating system. And it really felt like a roller coaster. I think max more, you know, regulated release cycle makes sense with the exception that I always worry that, you know, doing it every year might be too much, you know, maybe every two years would be, we'd be better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just where they are is right. The Mac is part of a broader, bigger ecosystem and the ecosystem has to move forward roughly in step with everything else. And, and and that, and that means, you know, that means mostly good things for the Mac, right? Like I like that the same iMessage features come to my phone and my computers at the same time, right? I like that when reminders get something new or notes, like that's good. Yeah, there's less Mac specific stuff some years, but I would rather the Mac be caught up continuously with its more popular siblings because that wasn't the case always. There was a time not that long ago where if you had a Mac and an iPhone and like some core service or feature change, the Mac would really lag behind with it. Yeah. And and I really think that is one of the big themes of Apple over the last several years is the payoff is arriving for all the stuff going on with Swift UI and common, you know, operating system components and making it possible for developers to, you know, develop along across all three platforms, including the, de- the developers in Cupertino at Apple. Um, we're going to talk today about the changes to Apple Mail. And I feel like five years ago, we would have got those changes on the iPhone and iPad and not on the Mac. That hmm. would have just not happened. And we would have been sitting here talking about, well, hopefully we'll get that someday on the Mac, you know. But uh, clearly the the emphasis was happening on the mobile side and the Mac was, you know, if we have time kind of right. thing. Whereas now, because everything's so integrated, I, my understanding is that the work of doing it on one platform is easily transferable to another platform, which is why so much of what we got this year is common to all platforms, but not everything, right? Yeah, yeah, not everything. There, there are some Mac-specific things uh, this year. Uh, on the security front, you know, this is an area Apple's been working on macOS a lot over the years. Uh, they continue to lock down the system itself. So you can't get in there, applications get in there and mess things up. Uh, but this year, it's more of a physical security year, it seems like. So on portable Apple Silicon machines, USB and Thunderbolt accessories require user approval before it can communicate with anything on macOS. 
this does not apply to like power adapters and stuff. Uh, you can still charge things if you don't allow them to access your data. But I think this is pretty sweet. And it means that if someone just hands you a USB drive to plug into your computer, like you have to think and make sure that's something you really want to do. And I, I think it's a good addition. Uh, there are some settings for this in security and privacy that you can um, you can basically tone this way down. But I'm going to leave it on. Yeah. And uh, I, I do like that little speed bump, right? I feel like there has been a ton of work underreported, frankly, at Apple on the security elements of everything they ship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, you hear the stories about them hiring white hat hackers and um, all this stuff going on behind the scenes. But they make those improvements, frankly, without saying a lot about it. And maybe that's like a concern that they don't want users thinking about vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. But I think the people at Apple are thinking a lot about it. And, you know, if you look at the changes made to the way Safari plugins work and Apple Mail plugins and like all of the little loose ends in the operating system have been bolted down. And that's something that's been going on behind the scenes for like 10 years. And, you know, we've never had the event where there's been a massive security breach uh, of the Apple devices. And I feel like there's a lot of effort in Cupertino going to the idea that that should never happen. Right. And yeah. And that, that does hurt us a little bit. Sometimes we want the features, we want the more flexibility with the applications, but clearly Apple's made a decision uh, in choosing between security and, you know, additional features. They're going to choose security. Yeah. But one of the themes of this year in my mind is that, the security is largely locked down and you're starting to see additional features across a lot of their apps that it's like now they, you know, now that they have set the foundation, now they can start doing fun things, you know, with the rest of the building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like what we've talked about with mail, right? That you had heard there was a lot of security stuff going on with mail years ago. Well, now they're out of that. Now they can build new features, which we'll talk about. There also are some new apps that have made it to the Mac clock and weather are finally here. They're, they're both very, I don't know, they are, the iPad version. Uh, and uh, it's pretty sweet because with with clock and weather and like, I know with clock at least, there's some spotlight integration and some shortcuts integration. So this is a, it's a nice addition for alarms and timers and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, a, a couple things on that. First is these exist, you know, I think largely because they needed to exist for shortcuts. You know, and uh, if you look at like people who make shortcuts, so many of them broke on the Mac because like you, you know, so often with a shortcut is some clock related function, setting a timer or something. And weather equally is a very popular action. And none of that stuff worked on the Mac because they didn't have the apps to give the data. And it was, I'm guessing, not a ton of work to, you know, move the iPad apps over. Uh, but that said, I am finding real use for these. You know, I think it's kind of great that they're here now. Um, you know, we talk so often about carrot weather and what a great app it is. The weather, the built-in weather app has really made a lot of progress. Have you spent much time with it? Yeah, I have. I've been, I've been spending quite a bit of time in it, just looking through its features and it is, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's really at a point where unless you just want or need something that is not in a third-party app like or that's not in the weather app like this is a great starting point now uh, because they've really turned it into dark sky like even the 
the radar looks like the old dark sky, like the color palette and stuff. It's, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's, wow, put it in there. But it yeah. has 10-day forecast, and it has air quality and sunset and humidity, like all a bunch of stuff you would want. It's It's really impressive how far it's come after, you know, a decade of being basically the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's another theme of what's coming out of Apple lately is that the the applic- the operating system applications across the board are getting a lot better. And I'm not saying they're like power user better, right? If you love weather, there are apps like Carrot Weather, but that's not the only one that can give you way more data. Um, but historically, it felt like the Apple apps were beginner level across yes. the board, uh-huh. you know, and and that's like they stopped there. And when you look at things like weather or even like reminders, we're going to talk about this during the show. But a lot of these apps are now creeping up to what I would call intermediate. They're no longer beginner apps. They have features that intermediate apps have that honestly probably serve 90 percent of people out there. And it's like this across the board. It's like they've raised the level of performance and features in these built-in operating system apps where now these are real options for a lot of people. Another thing that I think that's true in is the area of spotlight and search where over the years, spotlight has really raised the bar of what it can do. You know, back in the day in tiger, it was basically just a find feature. But um, this year they've really focused on making the search results richer and bringing more content and context to those results. So for instance, you can search images and it will search across photos, messages, notes, finder, even the web. They appear in the Spotlight UI sorted by their source and (laughs) Spotlight can now search live text. So you know that thing, if you're on a modern Mac hardware where you have an image and you can like highlight the text in it, it can use all of that data and search for something within images, which is a really cool trick. Now the image does have to be locally saved, but if you're like me or like a lot of people where you have all of your photo library downloaded, you can now use spotlight to search for text inside one of those photos. I mean, it's come so far. And they've even made some some movements this year to making Spotlight a bit a bit more like a launcher, but at least for me, the quick action stuff hasn't has it just hasn't been working for me. Yeah, I mean, just again, my point earlier is they are getting to intermediate level, but I don't think they have any desire to get to advanced level. And yeah. like when you look at like with Alfred, the things I can do with Alfred, Spotlight can't hold a candle to that, but. There are things that Spotlight now does better than Alfred. Like I think the individual search, like when you go, if I search Stephen Hackett, I get uh, easy links to FaceTime or text you or call you. But I also get recent pictures we've shared, um, mail messages between us. They, I mean, they're just getting into ways to get data that I'm not sure a third-party app could access. And they're surfacing it, the UI, in a very nice and concise way. Um, like Spotlight has added now um, Quick Look, where you can just hit the space bar on things in Spotlight, which I think is like 
so great. I mean, so much so that I do find myself using Spotlight now, where before everything went out through Alfred, but mm-hmm. now there are certain pieces of it that I'm starting to find. Well, I'll do that through Spotlight, and that's because it's better there. And I, uh, you know, again, this is an intermediate level launcher, but for most people, like my wife, you know, if I can teach her to use Spotlight a little more, she's yeah. going to love this stuff. Yeah. She's not going to like, she's not going to download an Alfred workflow, you know, <laughs> right. she's not going to like write a custom script to get to a certain folder like I would, but, but for the stuff she does, this is going to be great. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. That's, that's really where those quick actions I think come in. And so you can with spotlight do small tasks, like set an alarm, change focus modes, run a shortcut for me. That was very hit or miss, mostly a miss in the betas as far as when it worked. <laughs> but yeah. uh, assuming that they, it seems better in the release, and I think they'll continue to improve it. But it it means that even people can get into like little workflow stuff just within Spotlight. And I mean, we've talked about it so many times. We have so many things in our launchers that we use. It even makes it hard to switch between launchers, right? Like. Uh, I've tried everything, and about once a year I try everything, but I always come back to Alfred. Well, now Spotlight is is chipping away at that. And like, if all you really need can be covered by the Spotlight quick actions, you don't need a third-party one anymore. Uh, I think there's still lots of power there for those of us who want more. But again, your idea, it's so smart of Apple raising the bar, Spotlight is right there in the list this year. Yeah, and I think this really, this theme of Apple going to intermediate level with other apps does make you question the use of intermediate applications from third parties, right? Because uh, Apple's implementation of this stuff um, is going to be better because they have more access. You mm-hmm. know? And I know I'm jumping around a lot, but like Reminders, Siri integration is amazing. And there's no third-party app that's going to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, so so it's like now we're getting to a point where you say, I want the advanced stuff or I want the Apple stuff. And I'm not saying that we're there and you have to throw away your intermediate apps, but it is a question now where it wasn't a few years ago. We're going to talk more in the future about some of the collaboration stuff, because most of that in the in the form of the new Freeform app isn't out yeah. yet. Like That's just in beta as of like two days ago. And so we're going to kind of circle back to the collaboration stuff, but that continues to be an area of focus, especially, and I think mostly in the sort of the iWork suite. And and I will tell you, I'm running Freeform in the beta already, and my immediate reaction is that this does not suck. That's as as much as I can say at this point. It's too early, but it's not like an immediate, like, oh, they blew it. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's good to hear because it's exciting to get a a new productivity app from Apple. I mean, iWork has been iWork for a long time, you know? Yeah. I, I you know, this next point, um, a feature exclusive to the Mac is continuity camera. And to me, this is probably the biggest feature, even bigger than something like stage manager for people that, you know, use zoom calls and want to have a better camera. So the way it works is if you have an iPhone and you have a Ventura Mac, you have continuity camera and the iPhone shows up as an available camera in your apps like zoom or whatever else you do your conferencing in. And that's it, right? I have tried third-party apps in the past and they're good. They have some cool features, 
But this to me is something that, you know, Apple with its insider access does a better job of like, and the phone does not overheat. Um, it just works. There's literally nothing to do on your phone, but have it in the room. You don't have to like open an app and do a magic handshake. It just works. And then if you can get yourself a nice stand where you can set your phone next to your Mac, that makes it all the easier. There's already one for sale at the Apple store. Um, it is made by Belkin, I think Belkin. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, and it, um, it is only for laptops. So like, uh, those of us with the large screen monitors, they don't have some, something as, as clever yet, but I'm sure that'll show up on Amazon if nowhere else very shortly. So you hang your, your phone off the edge of your Mac and you turn it on and it is a substantial improvement over every camera that you'll find in any Mac. And you just hang it there and you say, yes. I mean, there's nothing else to it. It's really cool. I, I was on a conference call actually right before we started recording with uh, Mike Hurley, my business partner, and somebody else. And we had, uh, he was at home, so he was on his Ventura machine, and he joined the Zoom call, and you couldn't see anything. His phone was on the desk, and the computer said, oh, we're going to use you for continuity camera, and it just did it. And so I think maybe there's still a few hiccups, but the video quality was incredible. (laughs) And so it's, I think it's worth the hassle Maybe Apple can continue to make it a little bit smarter when it term when it comes to when it should auto connect. Yeah, I mean, like they have a gyroscope in there. If it, if it's clear that the lens is laying down, pointing at the desk, then maybe it should not do it. But it's also hooked to software. Like if Mike, I don't know, you said you were on a Zoom call. Yeah. If Mike had used it in his last call. I think Zoom would just default to the last used camera. Mm-hmm. So it's like something that maybe Apple doesn't control. But um, this is really an improvement. And if you are doing any kind of calls, I recommend it. And like they have that ability to turn on the, um, you know, kind of the portrait mode little thing. And it's not overdone, but it can blur the background a bit. I just, I think it's really nice. I mean, I've got this expensive Opal camera here. And I was doing some tests in the Max Berkey labs with this during the beta period. And I had a room full of, you know, like a hundred people and they were all picking the continuity camera over the Opal camera for better looking, you know, and that would make sense. The lens system in the iPhone is really great. And, you know, all the processing it's doing on that video as it comes off the lens is not going to be matched by really anybody else. Um, so I, uh, I, I'm a big fan of this, I guess, is what I'm saying. And if you have a laptop, get that Belkin thing. It just makes it so easy. And uh, if you've got a desktop and you want to use it, just wait. There will be better ones. Uh, I, I have one that you strap to the desk like it's a big gooseneck thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's wrong. Don't don't buy one of those things. Just wait. There's going to be something you can hang off your monitor. And when you use the big long arms, it it jiggles, right, because of the desk. But even then, it's doing some sort of gyroscopic stuff because you don't see the jiggles as much uh, with it. But I, I would recommend waiting for something you can attach to your your computer monitor. But this is really nice. And this is the feature that I keep telling people about that are not, like, in the nerd circle. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, uh, you know, they're like, well, what do I do with this new software? I'm like, connect your phone camera to it next time you make a Zoom call. Because people want to look good on camera, right? Yeah. And, that's all there is to it. You stick it on a desk or, a, I don't know, Velcro it to the wall. I don't know. Do, figure it out. But the uh, but it does look really good. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important with Text Expander. Just go to textexpander.com/mpu to get your 20% off your first year. Text expansion is an awesome tool to have, but text expansion on a team is doubly so because when you're on a team, getting the same common message out to everyone is difficult, but not with Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can set it up to store your most commonly used text phrases and have everybody on the same page when they send it out into the world. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and isn't spending its time reinventing the wheel. One of the best parts of this is when that message changes, you can do that just by changing the root snippet in Text Expander, and everybody automatically gets the update by using the same snippet. We do this at Max Sparky. I've got some people helping me out. We've got shared snippets. When I make changes, that's the snippet that goes out no matter who sends it. I think it's great and awesome, and I love it. And it's way better than having a Microsoft Word document or some other crazy solution for this exact problem. With Text Expander, you can store it to keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, even URLs right within Text Expander. Then share it with your whole team across to all the content they need to use every day. You can even organize it by department if you want, and then you can expand it. You deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device. And anybody on your team that you show Text Expander is immediately going to start adding to it and making it even better. It's just a great tool that anybody can use. You don't have to be a super nerd to use this, and it can save you money in your workplace today. It's really that easy. Just go to textexpander.com slash MPU to get signed up. It's available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go and sign up. 20% off. You can't beat that. Textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. And Textexpander, thanks for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So beyond the features themselves, I want to focus on some of the productivity updates, workflow updates within some of Apple's system apps. And I think we got to start with mail. You know, we've spoken about this over the summer about some of the new features, uh, which include undo send, schedule send, and some others. And I'm wondering, you know, after the summer, which of these have really stuck for you, which are working for you? Have you had issues? Kind of how's your your mail been with these new new options. Did you ever go to like summer camp as a kid where you're like away for a week or two? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you remember like the food there was always kind of like really bland. They had to make it for like 500 kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then you get home from summer camp and your mom would make you something like delicious and you'd be like, yeah, man, this is good. Well, that's what Apple Mill's been for us. We've been eating summer camp food and Apple Mill for like 10 years. And suddenly <laughs> we're getting like a, you know, chicken and dumplings kind of dinner. You know, it's great, you know. And uh, so the, uh, uh, the, we got features, you know. Uh, let's just break them down. Undo send, you know, perfect. A one-minute timer takes off. Actually, I think it's even less than that. I think it's, it's 30 it, seconds. It's, yeah, 30 seconds. It, as soon as you hit send, there's a 30-second timer. And it just sits in your outbox for 30 seconds. You don't notice it at all. But usually when you make that mistake, you accidentally hit send, you realize it immediately, right? Yeah. You know, have you ever done that? Like All the time. Like, yeah, that's why I always tell people, never put the recipient name in your email until you're done with the email. Like Absolutely. 
I, I when I was a lawyer, I would get emails occasionally from opposing counsel, and they would accidentally hit send, and you could see how much they really disliked me because it was like the early draft before they like cleaned it up, and yeah, like you don't do that, right? So you, you realize it immediately, uh, but so you got thirty seconds to undo, and that works on all devices, but on the Mac as well. Um, scheduled send. It's a great feature. Like if you work late at night and you don't want your clients to know that you're sending them and you know, that you're working at midnight on them, um, then you just schedule to send at 8 a.m. the next day and Mm -hmm. great feature. Um, Remind me. um, It well, you can set it to remind you later about a thing. And uh, that solves a problem that people have when they, uh, you know, trying to track emails, follow up is another feature. So I think people get confused. So you've got remind me where you can manually schedule it. Follow up is where it automatically follows up with you, like on an email it thinks that you should have got a reply to. Right. Of all of these features, this is the worst one for me. Have you have you tr- been getting those follow up emails? Yes. And then it's like, what is this in my sense. inbox? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I sent that email. Why is it in my inbox? And it's it's Apple saying, well, I think that you need to follow up on this because you never got a reply. Mm-hmm. Um, our sponsor, SaneBox, so it's a sponsor, but they do a similar feature, but they do it way better. When you send it, you just blind copy like five days at SaneBox, and then they, they send you a follow-up email, and it's very clear, this is to you because that person didn't reply. What do you want to do? Whereas follow-up just sticks the the mail in your box. It really doesn't make sense. And like, well, am I supposed to archive this? Because I sent this email. I like to keep my sent email in the sent box, but now I've got it again. Do you know What do I do with this? And uh, rarely do I want to follow up on it. It's just like the, the artificial intelligence isn't smart yet at figuring out, st- uh, giving me stuff I want to follow up on. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. And it doesn't really explain. So that's the feature I think that really needs more time in the oven. Uh, attachment reminders. This is such a killer feature. Have you had this happen yet uh, with uh, with Ventura where you write an email to someone and you go to send it and it says, hey, uh, you have mentioned attachments in here, but there are none. Would you like to attach something? Have you seen that? I have. And it's, it's so good. Uh, I know Gmail on the web has had this for a long time. And I remember when they announced it, I thought, this is magic. Why can't I have this in mail? And now uh, yeah. 82 years later, we have it. Yeah, it's great because that's so embarrassing, right? And then you have to send a second email like, oops, I forgot. Here's the PDF. You you look like a goober. Yeah, Mailmate has that feature too. It's just, it, it's overdue, but it's I'm still thankful that it's here. Um, I, I'm just real happy with Apple Mail. It, it is the turkey dinner after coming home from summer camp. And, and, I, and I hope, you know, this continues, right? Um, you know, getting back to one of the themes of all this, the, the Apple Mail's raising from beginner to intermediate. This is a good, solid, intermediate features that I think a lot of people will really like. I actually made a, a video for the Max Markey Labs about the new mail features, I don't know, about a month ago. I'm going to go ahead and share it with the Mac Power Users listeners. So just uh, we'll put it in the show notes if you want to watch it. This is some of the Labs content. But it, it goes through and breaks down a bunch of these features so you can kind of see them in, in action. Reminders is another application that got quite a bit of activity uh, this year. Some of my favorite things in it, uh, well, my one favorite thing in it is that you can set the badge to overdue plus today, which I've wanted forever. Uh, and they've, yeah. I finally got it this summer. So thank you, Apple, for doing that. But I think that's sort of a 
uh, a hallmark of a lot of what's doing in reminders where they're giving you more flexibility. So you can, you can pin your lists. Uh, so that, that section at the top, that's like overdue today scheduled, uh, that's much more customizable. Now you can put a whole list up there. Uh, and the smart list, which a lot of people use based on things like tags, that's gotten way better uh, this year. And the smart list engine within yeah. reminders is really pretty smart. Yeah. And so you can also make smart lists on more than just tags. You can make it that it, it's in a specific reminders list plus a tag or um, they, they've got like five or six different criteria you can use to create these smart lists. And you can move them up into the lists, you know, the the pre-populated sets of lists at the top. So you can put them on an equal footing. Um, they have, um, you know, oh, they call it pinning it. That's the word I was looking for. You can pin these smart lists if you want. Uh, they also have template projects now. So if you do the same kind of project repeatedly, you can do it once, save it as a template, and then just trigger that template going forward, and it'll automatically create it for you. And you know, I, I think I, I am probably overdoing it with talking about Apple creating intermediate apps, but this to me is the poster child of that. It's um, There are a bunch of features and reminders now that you used to have to pay for. You, know, you used to have to find an app that would add features like uh, related, relational tagging and, like, um, and templating and what I would consider to be intermediate task management um, features. And just, you know... Re- just like, you know, roll back the clock a few years. Reminders was not that application. It didn't it was do not. <laughs> you know, it was the app that maybe you wrote down your gumbo, you know, um, ingredients on. And then you had it when you went to the market. But that was about as far as you'd go. And uh, I just recently spent a few weeks seriously looking at reminders as a replacement for OmniFocus for me. Saying, you know, could I just use reminders going forward? There are a couple things it does better. You know, Siri integration is one. Uh, I really like the look of reminders, you know, the white space and the way the UI is. Uh, but ultimately, it didn't work for me. There, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff I get with the an advanced task manager that reminders mm-hmm. doesn't have. But but the fact that I even considered it tells you something, right? Yeah, I've I've run it all summer, and uh, I think notes and reminders is going to become an episode in the future because a lot has changed here. The shortcut support and reminders is still a sore spot for me. I feel like there's so much more they could do. R- really, and remind reminders is the example, but this happens with a lot, a lot of apps, Apple apps, is that the system or these apps will get new features, but there's not shortcut support for those new features. So like the shortcut support for reminders is like many years old and hasn't really evolved with reminders all that much. They've made some changes. But I would still like yeah. to see a lot more here. This should be really easy to interact with your a to-do list from shortcuts. Yeah, I, I feel like if Apple's listening, they should really have a team of smart shortcuts people that they can deploy to these apps if that's what it takes to get the shortcut support in. You know, I know that in the old days, Sal Segoyan used to do that. Like if if he uh, if the iWork team was working on something, he would like show up and like move in for a few weeks and then and then you know pages would have a bunch more automation features because he'd sit there and make them happen and I, I don't know what the answer is here but having to make us wait a year to get um, additional actions and shortcuts is not the solution mm-hmm. right 
And shortcuts is such a big part of Apple at this point. And like the the next app we're going to talk about is Apple Notes. Well, they got they went crazy with shortcut support. They have great shortcut support now. It's just such a contrast that you yeah. know reminders that has all these features doesn't have the ability to do a bunch of this stuff through automation. Yeah, it's very uneven across the different projects, and that that that's frustrating, right? Because like maybe you don't use notes but you do use your mind like you see notes get all this cool stuff like these things should move forward more evenly i think well and but i guess the big point we are going to do a show on this really kicking the tires hard on reminders and notes but we get emails from people saying hey i don't want to use something like OmniFocus or uh you know a big fancy task manager and my advice to people like that going forward is going to be make a real honest attempt at reminders because you probably will be happy with that mm-hmm. agreed and if someone came to me and said i want to make like a really cool looking intermediate level task manager i'd say you should probably put your effort somewhere else yeah notes what about notes notes what do we so, get? so like smart lists and reminders smart folders and notes is quite a bit better you can filter on a bunch of different metadata so not just tags but you have creation date uh shared status it's really fantastic how the how this has come over because again, like I think there have been smart folders in notes, but like tags weren't really a thing, and then uh, it's been a little bit even to get where they are, but notes is super well rounded now, and if you're a big smart folder user, you got a lot more hooks, yeah, and like I was playing with it, trying to like you know push the edges of it, and I made a smart folder that looked for anything tagged with the word work and the list or the note contains a checklist, which is a pretty advanced search really when you think about it, because we'll have a lot of notes, but how many of them actually have a checklist in it? And so you combine work with checklists and you can see all your open checklists with work. And I'm like, yes, this is a, this is not a basic app. You know, I got to stop saying that, but it's just Apple is really kind of turning up the, the power and all of these things. Also, the way you can manipulate tags is better. Like you can use qualifiers now, uh, exclude. Like so you can say have this tag, but not that tag. That's a feature in an Apple app. I mean, let's just stop and think about that for a minute, right? You know, um, it's good. It's good. You know, you can group them by uh, dates, dates and titles. Um, it's just a real nice update to Apple Notes. And as I said earlier, shortcut support, like, yeah. Chef's kiss there, man. You can do almost anything. You can create notes. You can, it's like, it's like they looked at everything you could do with your finger on the phone and say, make a shortcut to do that. And they did just about all of them. As far as I can tell. I want to talk about Safari a little bit. Tab groups were a new thing last year. A pretty simple feature in terms of execution, uh, but they've become a much better rounded this year. Uh, you can share those tab groups. Like you and I could have a tab group for a project we're working on, and we can share it between us. Uh, you can yeah. cut customize them a bit better now, which is nice. Uh, but I think my favorite is the ability to include pin tabs. I've become kind of a pin tab user a lot more over the last yeah. year or so, and having them in tab groups is... Uh, it was one of those things that was kind of frustrating that it wasn't there before. Yeah, I, I agree. 
Um, what do you think, what are you using tab groups for currently? I feel like this is a feature I'm underutilizing because I've scripted all this stuff. Like when I want to do something, I push a button and yeah. shortcuts or keyboard maestro opens tabs. But I feel like I should be using this. I've got plenty of that too. Uh, but what I've started doing actually the most for is Mac Power User episodes. And so I had a tab group for this episode. So I just named it MPU664. And that tab group had the show notes, the ads, the CMS, you know, the normal stuff I see. But, you know, we worked on this outline for a while. And so I had like a bunch of links open, you know, like, okay, I need to go read about pass keys. I don't want to go double check this about notes or reminders or whatever. And that, you know, in longer term projects, but that are fluid bookmark folders or a piece of automation may be too rigid. And, you know, one thing about tab groups that people didn't like is that it wasn't like that, that it wasn't like a bookmark folder that every time I go to this tab group, I want to open these eight tabs. Really, the tab group is just a a snapshot of wherever it is currently. So if you close a tab in the tab group, it's not going to be there next time you go to that tab group. It's, It's real, sort of real time. And I've kind of embraced that. So I'll, you know, I'll create a tab group. If I, like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing research on something for the house. Didn't know how to fix something. And, I, you know, I was like reading up about it. Right. So I set a tab group for like three days with like a bunch of links in there about it. And then when I'm done with it, I just destroy them. So I'm treating them as very like ephemeral. And that's helped it click for me. Yeah, I, I'm going to be using these more. Maybe we'll do some content on it for Mac Power users, too. If people are interested, let us know. But I do feel like there's something to this that is not like the typical automation, you know, web automation stuff we do. And I I definitely want to take more advantage of it. Uh, Another thing you can do in Safari now is you can edit suggested passwords. You know, like you had the thing where Safari would uh, offer you a password when you sign up for a new website, um, but you always had to take what they gave you. Not anymore. You can go in and edit it. And last year we got the feature of live text on images you know, uh, so you can like get a picture in the photos app and read, have the computer read what's on the image. Now that's in Safari. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. The big security feature is pass keys, which is surprisingly hard to talk about because yeah, yeah you hear is. passwordless sign in and you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, super, um, basic version of this is basically you get a pair of keys that you can still sync with iCloud. One password is already supporting this as well, but those keys aren't your password. So basically when you come to a website that has passkey support, you use touch ID or face ID. It goes and checks the keys and then it tells the website, yes, I have them. Let me in. So you're not exchanging a password uh, because these keys, there's a private key and a public key. So no website actually has your entire login information and you're substituting that with a token that says this is authenticated with face ID or touch ID. I verify and you can trust me because I am touch ID or face ID. I have not come across this in the real 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 world yet to actually use it, but I've read a lot about it. I'll have some a link in the show notes. It is a really cool picture of the future where Basically, your authentication is not dependent on something you have to remember or something you have to manually create, but you're verifying really in practice with just the device that you already have. It's way more secure because there's not 
server sitting on passwords, a password sitting on server somewhere to get ripped off. But uh, it's going to be a process to get here. This this move from passwords to pass keys is going to take a long time, I think. Yeah, it will and it won't. I, I suspect once the benefits of it start getting out um, and it will go a lot faster. So, you know, it's funny, this, this part of the outline very much evolved. Yeah. Steven and I kind of work together on these shows like this. And like, I'd go in and work on this section. I'd see, come back. He had more than I had, add more. It was a lot of work. And I think Steven's right. This is hard to explain, but I think to kind of back up currently, if you want to log into a website, you're, you have a username and a password and the website also has your username and your password, you know, and that's a big part of the problem is like if, you know, some company has my password that could get hacked. And if they also have my credit card, that's a problem. And and then sometimes you have two factor, but you know, you know, putting the password, you know, it's like um, you're sharing the key by putting the password with the company. And the problem that this solves is it allows you to keep the password in essence on your device without ever releasing it. So it's a validation uh, that they're doing when they call you and say, Hey, this guy wants in, it says he's Steven. Is it Steven? And the validation is happening on your machine without ever sending them the actual validation password. Right. And that the the benefits that they get hacked, they know that Steven has an account there, but they have no idea how to get into it because they'd have to actually be talking to Steven's device and do a validation. And the flip side of that is people spoof websites, right? So when you have, you know, Chase Bank dot, you know, fake, you know, or whatever they're doing <laughs> to make it look like Chase Bank, and they um, they send you, hey, you know, uh, I know Stephen has an account here. Go ahead and give us a validation to log in so we can steal his bank stuff. Uh, because of the way Passkey works, they'll be like, no, wait, you're not Chase Bank because this validation only works for chasebank.com. It's it's more complicated than that. If you have a neck beard, don't write me. But it it is a lot better in those spoofing situations too. So it just solves a whole bunch of problems. And the good news is Apple, Google, I think Amazon, most of the big vendors are in on this. And they did this in a way that you don't have to just be dealing with an Apple website. They wanted to make it open to as many platforms as possible. And so Apple has released this to the wild. They've put the infrastructure on your computer to have that conversation, develop the key, you know, pass the validation without the password. And now we're waiting for websites to hunt, to sign on to it. And I think it might go faster than you think. So hopefully between the two of us, we've explained it. <laughs> yeah, we've explained it like two different ways and hopefully that helps. Hopefully, I I, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. stuff in the show notes. Again, you can go do some homework, but I, I'm excited about it. And Apple has really led the way on browser privacy in so many areas. And now to take this on is is really cool. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Memberful, the easiest way to sell memberships to an audience used by the biggest creators on the web. With Memberful, you can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You probably heard us talk about the Relay FM membership program or heard David talk about the labs over at Max Sparky. Well, Memberful is the platform that powers both of those programs. It's also used by our friend Jason Snell at Six Colors, and I use it at 512 Pixels. And we use it because it, they make it really easy to generate extra revenue streams for our businesses. 
and give us lots of tools for delivering bonus content to our members. With Memberful, we don't have to rely just on advertising. We can have better financial independence as small businesses. And as a creator, by doing this, paying my bills, that means a lot to me. Memberful makes it easy to diversify your income with everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more. The best part is you are left in full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. You can even send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without the need for a third-party email provider, and then you can publish that paid newsletter content on a Memberful-hosted members-only website so your members can log in and see past, uh, past editions. It's really cool. There's no additional fee for this if you're already signed up for Memberful's pro or premium plans. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize your passion. Get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. There's no credit card required. Once again, that's memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now. Check it out. It could be the start of something really exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show. Okay, Stephen, one of the more controversial things about macOS Ventura is system settings. Um, we have talked about this on the show throughout the beta process, so this is not new to the listener. It used to be called system preferences, and they changed it. Rather than calling it preferences or settings, they called it system settings. <laughs> yeah. I, let's just, I, I'm not going to make fun of the name anymore. I, I'll get used to it, but I don't like what they did with the name. But more importantly, is they change the entire structure of it, you know, historically. And th- this goes back to the very first Macintosh. You know, I mean, there's nothing older in the operating system than the system preferences, mm-hmm. you know, and like famous, well, not famously, but for me, that was where I fell in love with the Mac was yeah. getting into the preferences and seeing what a great visual job they did of setting them and making it so easy to customize the experience. And after all these years, you know, they have now redone it and it's taken a completely rip off from the iPad. You know, it's just, you know, a, a linear list of settings that allow you to click on them. And then they have like a secondary. So they have a left window, like a menu window, like so many apps. And then they have a main window that shows you the data from that view. And they've just kind of jammed it in there. And I'm using the word jammed intentionally here. Yeah. And then you scroll through that and you find what you want to do. And they've got generally the settings you want there. And this is very controversial for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think the the organization is maybe even more confusing in places. So my, my favorite example of this is that network and Wi-Fi now are both top-level items despite Wi-Fi being a subset of the network setting. So it's like a it's like a shortcut to get further in, but then it's granted the same hierarchy on the left-hand side. It's a lot of a lot of weird things. And I we talked about this this summer, but I agree with the idea that system preferences needed changing. And if you could do that and make it more familiar to people who use the iPhone and then come to the Mac, that'd be great too. But some of the the organization and some of the design choices here are just uh, pretty confusing. And I'm sure with time we'll get there. Right now, even after the whole summer, I'm relying on search a lot within settings to figure out where I'm trying to go. But it'll 
hopefully it will improve, but it's a little bit of a shock right now, I think. Yeah, I mean, part of it to me is that it's just different, and we've been using that other system forever. And yeah. you know, before June, uh, over the last couple of years, you and I have both complained about the state of system preferences, and it felt very, uh, you know, ad hoc, and like you couldn't figure out any organization. So I think you did a blog post where you reorganized it at one point, and like they just it needed attention for certain. But it's just so vanilla with what mm-hmm. they've done with it, you know. And it's just this long scrolling list. Just the other day, you know, I'm fixing one of the things that have changed is under some circumstances, print to PDF got the ellipses back. Yeah. So that script I use where I print to PDF, <laughs> I had to go through and fix it. And it really to do that, it killed yeah, me when I saw that. It's like someone knows Sparky, like that's the thing that he does, and he's going to have to change it. Yeah, I know, man. And then I'm going to get emails for years because I, you know, I've done videos without it. It's just like a whole thing. But, mm-hmm. but you know, the way you fix that is you go into the keyboard um, preferences and then you go into the the automations. It's just a button now. It used to be a tab. It really stood out. Now you have to like really look for it. And, and it's just like, it's worse. I mean, there's no question. And like, I feel like they should be putting some of all that work they did in SF symbols to make all those glyphs and like, you know, make those scrolling lists prettier and more obvious, you know, with major features or even like, go ahead and make more entries. You know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with making that scrolling list longer. No. And this is, you know, something that hopefully they, they did this for because it was so hard to add stuff to system preferences before. Yeah. And now it should be easier, but just the overall, I think they could make a lot of people happier if they spent effort on those individual panes and laid them out better and made it easier to comprehend. And there's just nothing to hang yourself on. You're like visually, like in the old system, when you clicked on the system preference, they were very like bespoke the way yeah. they made those boxes. Like, and that goes back to the original Mac with the tortoise and the hare mm-hmm. for the click speed. And like, they need to bring that kind of love to this version of system preferences. And I feel like they got the bare bones out the door, but they didn't take that extra step. And that that's my complaint about it. I, I think overall it's probably a good idea, but they should have been more intentional with the way they laid that stuff out. And maybe that'll happen over the next year or two, but right now it feels really mm-hmm. hard to discern. And it's just a, it's just a pile of words and switches. It's not, it's not like it used to be, and I, I think that is a bad thing. Along with this setting, Apple has basically, I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but done a find and replace in macOS to change from preferences to settings. So if I go to my Safari yeah. menu, it now says, you know, Safari settings, or just settings even. I don't even, It doesn't even put the app name in it. Yeah. This made me cranky over the summer, and I thought it was just because I've used, you know, macOS 10 for 20 years. But I think this, like two days ago, I finally had the, the thought is that preferences felt user centric, right? I prefer my computer work this way or that way. And yeah. settings feels computer centric. Now, in the grand scheme of things, this is a footnote to a footnote to a footnote. But like even that word change, which I understand they want to clarify and make it better. Like it hurt me as like an old time Mac user in a way I didn't really expect. That's really insightful. I never, I think you're right on though. It does feel like it's computer centric, but 
it also feels to me, I don't think they thought about it as much as you did. I feel like they said, <laughs> well, you know, on the iPhone, it's called settings. So yeah. we're just going to call it settings here too. But you're right. And and I would even say that to the layout of these these panes, that they're computer-centric. They're not human-centric. And with the prior iteration, they were human-centric. And, like, that's a problem Apple can solve. They have great design people. They do. Like, if you put a team and said, okay... Now I want you guys to redesign these panes and the settings so like humans can relate to them. I feel like they could do that, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. For me, the best example is the trackpad settings pane. Very famously and back in like 2008, I guess, with the first MacBook Air, maybe more gestures were coming to the Mac and they showed off that in the preference pane, there's going to be actual video, right? So someone's hand would come into the frame and then perform the gesture. And so you could see it and mimic it and learn it. And trackpad didn't have that in the first beta. And it became a big point of conversation the week of WBDC to the fact that John Gruber asked Apple about it on the talk show. And Craig Federighi said, yeah, there's still work to do, especially on that one. And so now if you go into it, I think because it got that attention, you have some like really nice kind of modern animations at the top showing you what each gesture does. I don't think it's as good as the videos, but I think it works. And you still have a lot of the very iOS controls, right, with the the label on the left and the checkbox way far on the right. But this one feels organized pretty well. And, like, yeah, it's not great looking, and, like, it still wants to scroll by default because the window doesn't grow the way it's supposed to. But this one got some attention. And if you compare it to some of the others that really feel like okay, we just put the labels in and moved on. Like I see the promise of what this could be. Um, and I think the trackpad one is interesting because it's not just settings, but it's also educational, right? And there's yeah. opportunities for that uh, in a lot of these preference panes. And some of them have some of that, but it's just text, right? It's like Touch ID works this way and that way. But like, could Apple take this new platform for settings, right? It's not based on the code base from you know 20 years ago, but something new, could they build on this and make this a really great experience for users? Like, I'd love for them to. I'd, I'd love it where I wouldn't have to click on little help boxes to understand what's going on. They could show me, be more visual. So I'm hopeful someone did this with the trackpad one. And it kind of shows me, I think, what could be done. Yeah. And in addition to being educational, just having the visual cue as you're scrolling through them to get to what you want. I think we need that. You know, yeah. we are humans. We are not computers. So yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't hate it as much as some. And I actually think it was needed, but I feel like the execution is where they fell down a bit and maybe they ran out of time and yeah. it's going to get better over time. And I, I really hope that's the case. If we're here two years from now and they still look the same, I'll be really disappointed. Yeah. I mean, this could have been done at any point, right? System preferences just wasn't bad over the last two years, right? This has been, it's been a slow descent with system preferences. And I would have rather them held this for a year and it come out really good. Like say that a a year from now, we're talking about Mac OS 14 and oh my gosh, the settings app is everything we ever wanted. Like then you should have just waited until you were there before launching this. And time will tell how that plays out. But for something that's so critical, I mean, every Mac user on the planet has to open settings at some point, right? There's a bunch of features in this OS that 100% of people don't ever touch. 
But this really needs to work. And right now, it works. It gets the job done, but it does it in some ways that are very, very strange. Agreed. One good thing, though, about the new settings app that I do want to mention here is that third-party setting panes will still work. So for me, the only one I have installed on this computer is Backblaze. And it just shows up way at the bottom of the list. And it's using the old UI, so like the window grows and kind of loads in kind of funny. But it is uh, it is here. Apple has been for several years trying to push people out of system preferences and like, hey, you need to be a menu bar app. You need to be a regular windowed application. Hazel made the jump a couple of years ago. But if you do have any of these still holding on, there is still a place for them, uh, which I was glad to see because that was a question kind of at WDC, like, well, you know, what about these third-party ones that have been allowed in here forever? There's still runway for those, but I expect with time they'll continue to fade. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU and join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. When you're hiring, you're supposed to leave no stone unturned. But how do you actually do that? Easy. Partner with one powerful stone turner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And hiring all in one place is made so easy with features like virtual interviews. So don't make your candidates jump through hoops. Indeed's virtual interview tool means there's nothing to download. Just click and talk. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash MPU right now to start hiring. Just go to INDEED.com slash MPU. Once again, that's Indeed.com slash MPU, and some terms and conditions do apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. In addition to macOS Ventura, we've also seen the release of iPadOS and iOS 16.1. Uh, let's start maybe on the, the iPhone side where we've gotten, I think, a couple of the biggest features this year. Uh, the first one being live activities, where an app can put ongoing status updates in the Dynamic Island if you have a new 14 Pro, uh, but on the lock screen of, of every phone. And, you know, the, it's early days. I probably have four or five apps that I've played with that, that offer live activities, but I'm already sold because I think this is a really cool way to stay informed about what's going on on your phone. Yeah, totally agreed. And like the whole idea of the phone feeding you information that you choose when you want, that's great. You know, I mean, notifications um, have a bad rap because a lot of people don't know how to use them. Right. But this live activities thing, uh, I think is a far superior method for the types of information conveys like weather and sports scores and, and flight, flight availability. So yeah, uh, I think they're 
they're they're putting the pedal down on this. In fact, uh, from what I've seen of the iOS 16.2 release, they're going to make it even better. And, and I just hope more developers get on board with this. There are some examples, I think, right now that maybe won't stick, right? People are exploring and try, trying this out to see what's going on. But it is really cool and very promising. And it's really a new type of, uh, really a whole new type of thing in iOS. You know, we've had widgets now for a few years, but this is kind of the next step of your phone kind of surfacing information when you need it. You don't have to go looking for it. Uh, my favorite example so far is carrot weather, where if weather is moving in, like rain or snow or something is moving in, you can open the app, you can start the live activity, and it gives you its little rain chart over the next 60 minutes. Um, I actually used this in the beta when I was on vacation several weeks ago, and there was rain one day at the beach. And so if a kid asks, you know, how much longer is it going to rain? I could just look at my phone and no, I didn't have to unlock my phone, go into care weather. And so surfacing stuff as you need it is the name of the game here. And I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm really excited. Imagine being like a little kid and your dad reliably tells you the weather every time. <laughs> He's all knowing. At some point, you know, you get old enough to realize he was just using an app, but for a while you're like, man, this guy knows everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, additional features, iCloud shared photo library. I mentioned it earlier. It really needed to be on all platforms to work, yep. but now it is. Um, uh, so we've got it on the iPad, the Mac, and the iPhone. We're going to um, get into photos and sharing soon. We're going to do a show on it because there's just too much here to cover in a little segment. But yeah, I'm generally happy with it. I have some, uh, there are some tricks to implementing it. There are some downsides to it, but overall, I mean, the problem of a shared library, this is the right direction to go. And I'm really glad they did it. Yeah. I'm going to get into it with uh, my wife and I's vast photo libraries, probably towards the end of the year. Um, but I'm really, ex- I'm, I'm excited about it. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of use for it. And that's going to be good. Yeah. A couple sort of scattershot other things in iOS 16.1 you can use Apple Fitness Plus without an Apple Watch. This is an, an extension of the activity ring coming to the iPhone, where the iPhone kind of knows if you're walking or running, but not much else, uh, not as much as the watch. And so they've unlocked Fitness Plus to, to work with that, which I think is great. I continue to use and like Fitness Plus, and I think Apple's doing a good job on that front. Yeah, agreed. And um, clean energy charging. Um so it's a it's a new setting to reduce your carbon footprint by selectively charging uh, when lower carbon emissions electricity is available. That's kind of cool. I I don't really have use for it in my life right now. Like I don't have my house on on solar, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's like it depends on what you're doing. And um, uh, but I think I'm glad that Apple's making an effort yeah. in this regard. Yeah, yeah and some energy companies will use lower carbon emission at maybe certain times a day, like when the load isn't as high. I did some reading about this over the summer. And, and so there's a lot that goes into this. Um, and the the utility company or your system also has to like tell the internet somehow, like, okay, from this time to this time, this is labeled clean energy. The phone has to be able to know about that and then apply the setting. 
Um, but you also see this a lot in electric car charging now where you can set a lot of nicer like home electric chargers. You tell it, you know, where you are in your utility company because a lot of times your utility company may have a program where from time A to time B, the rate is five cents lower an hour or something compared to maybe in the evening yeah. when demand is higher. So that that's not what this is. This is looking at clean energy, not necessarily energy prices. But yeah. you're starting to see some of these things happen. Uh, and when you combine them, you know, hopefully we can all use less power, which I think is pretty, pretty good goal. Uh, that's the goal. That's right. the goal. <laughs> uh, matter support. Uh, yeah. This is something that comes up um, on the automators, but I want to talk about it here too. I mean, we mentioned it. We did a whole segment on it last week, so I guess we don't need to go too deep on it. But the um, I like to see the ball moving forward on matter. I still don't know what it means in the long term, but it seems like it may be the solution for mm-hmm. a lot of home automation stuff. And and now it's it's here, and it's not a surprise really because the actual matter spec was released in October. I think they're supposed to have a big thing in November about it. And mm-hmm. now it's already in your iPhone. So that's yep. good. Yeah. Cause Apple has been involved with it, which, which is giving, you know, one of the benefits of that is they're ready to go when it's ready to go and they're not playing catch up to a standard they want, they weren't involved in. The last thing I'll mention is sharing keys in wallet. So if you have like one of those new uh, fancy smart locks that works with home key, uh, you can share those keys with other people. You can, you can do it on a temporary basis. So like, okay, they need access to, you know, my condo this weekend, but I don't want it the weekend, you know, after or something. You can now kind of set that up and manage it and share the key. So uh, I don't have any experience with this. I don't have any locks that use home kit or home key or anything, but I'm uh nor do I drive a car <laughs> that that uh that requires this. But again, something the future looking, which I think we're seeing a yeah. lot of this time. It almost feels like infrastructure to me, like matter and yeah, like, yeah. Uh, sharing keys. It's like we're gonna know, you know, like if you're like me, you buy a car every 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're gonna need it today, but eventually you're gonna you know, get some new hardware or car or whatever. And the fact that this support's already baked in is going to be something you like. So it'll be there when you need it. Yep. iPad OS 16.1 is also coming out at the same time. Uh, this is interesting because there was no iPad OS 16, you know, that, that <laughs> yeah. happened a month or two ago. They said, Hey, you know what? We're going to get it out for the iPhone, but for the iPad's going to wait till 16.1. This is not unprecedented. You know, no. Apple, makes half of its revenue on the iPhone and Apple makes a lot of revenue. So, uh, you know, we've talked about in the show with the one way Tim Cook gets fired is if he blows an iPhone launch. So having him put all the developers on the iPhone side to get, to get a successful iPhone launch makes total sense to me. And, uh, and, uh, I didn't mind waiting for 16.1 for the iPad, but you get all the stuff we've been talking about, but it's missing a few things too. The biggest thing that's the the bummer is the lock screen widgets. I, I mean, if most iPads are used in keyboard cases most of the time, maybe you just don't see your lock screen all that much. But I would have liked to be able to customize that, bring some of the design stuff over. But it is it is iPhone only. I have that problem. Uh, I have talked in prior shows that I use my iPad as a status board at my mm-hmm. desk, and so I basically it is lock screen widgets, but they're 
they're customized by me. In some ways, they're better because I can do more of them, et cetera. Um, but I have to leave the iPad plugged in. But I have my iPad set with a you know with a cord attached to it just to leave the screen on always when I'm sitting here. And so that's kind of a little bit of a workaround. But I, I agree, this is a miss. They should have had lock screen widgets on iPad. Why not? Yeah, even if it looked silly because of their size, right? Like Apple's not above <laughs> making part of the UI the iPad look silly. So yeah, I could I could see it from the aesthetics argument, but I think it would have been a a really nice a nice thing to have. Yep, agreed. And uh, but the flip side of that is we've been talking a lot today about you know the overall um, improvement to Apple productivity apps, and all that stuff is on the iPad too, mm-hmm. and. So it really, you know, the benefits of reminders and notes and Apple Mail and all of that make your iPad a lot more useful to you. And uh, this is stuff that we've wanted and we've been complaining that it's not there. So I'm I'm happy to see that happening. I mean, I, I, maybe that's the reason why these things are getting better is because we have all been whining so much about the iPad <laughs> and the, you know, and the, the Mac is getting the side benefit of that. But either way, it, it's nice to see these apps get more features and become more powerful. Yeah, I mean, even something like Freeform, well, I think a lot of people will use it on the Mac. It feels like an iPad-first kind of idea, right? You're going to have your pencil, and you're dragging images in, and that's obviously not out yet, so we can reserve our judgment. But the iPad becoming more of a, again, like the Mac, part of the family, right? Does not just the iPhone and these other things get things later. They're still doing that with lock screen widgets, I guess, but at least the features that really matter like if your reminders work differently between the two you'd be sad and so at least apple is keeping up with that but it just feels like there's so much more they could do in some of these areas on the ipad but um i guess we'll get to stage manager in a second but i I do like seeing these things coming to all the products like one thing we didn't even mention with safari is safari extensions will now sync so if you install an extension on your ipad syncs to your phone and mac and they go all around your little icloud world just a nicety that makes moving fluidly between these devices, which is what Apple wants us to do, it makes the that just a little bit nicer. And especially with extensions, it was so fiddly to install one on your phone and then like you get to your iPad like the next day, it's like, oh, that thing's not here. And you got to go find it and make sure you set it up the same. And so roughing out the edges, rounding out the edges between the devices, I think is just as important to them as some of these other things we've spoken about. Yeah. And I really think that, you know, this year was the payoff year on uh, getting features and apps across all platforms at the same time. I, I feel like it's, this has been something they've been building for a long time. This is the year that the, it like the exclamation point landed on it. Yes, they can do that now. And, and I hope that that's just the way of things going forward, but it it does kind of feel like we've, Cross that Rubicon. You know, we're we're now at a point where a good like feature level um, or you know premier level features are going to start making their way to all apps at the same time. And yeah. uh, and we put up with a lot, you know, as users over the years. Like we all went through that thing where all the iWork apps got worse for a mm-hmm. couple of years when they kind of brought it back to a unified code base. But now suddenly, now we're getting these features across all devices at once. And I, I just feel like like the the stuff is starting to pay off more for apple and that's good for us so you know let's see more of it please 
This episode of MPU is made possible by Clean My Mac X. You want to be able to trust your Mac. It's a crucial tool for your work, education, and life. Our friends at MacPaw are on a mission to help machines help you, which is why they developed Clean My Mac X, the ideal decluttering app for the Mac that can help keep it in tip-top shape. So what exactly does it do? Well, Clean My Mac X includes 49 tools to find and delete invisible computer junk. It helps you tune up your Mac so it runs at maximum speed. It has tools for organizing disk space. It'll show you hidden folders so you can free up tons of space and never run into issues with storage again. It fights Mac-specific malware and adware, protecting your computer, preventing your Mac from cluttering, lagging, and slowing down. Clean My Mac's new menu bar app helps you take care of your Mac's health with six detailed monitors that provide useful information about storage, your state of protection, CPU performance, RAM, battery, and network speeds. Clean My Mac X is available in the Mac App Store. It's been notarized by Apple. It's been checked for security, and it really stands out in design as well. It's been honored with the Red Dot Award, UX Design Award, and is even a Webby Award nominee. So go over to macpaw.app slash MPU, and you can get Clean My Mac X today for 5% off. This discount's only valid for two weeks, so go there now, macpaw.app slash MPU for 5% off. One final note, despite the war in MacPaw's home country, Ukraine, the team has worked hard to make sure there's no disruptions in the support or development of Clean My Mac X. It's stable, safe, and secure. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of Mac Power users. Okay, so we have been dealing with a 800-pound gorilla the whole episode that we have not been mentioning called Stage Manager. <laughs> um, Stage Manager is the new kind of window management system that is premiering simultaneously on iPad and Mac. It is a way to manage windows where it keeps little tiny stacks of windows on the side of your screen, or what I call them groupings. I'm not sure what Apple's exact word is for it. but uh, Piles you, is what they call it. Piles. Uh, yep. Okay. Not well, stacks, which they use on the dock and desktop. Not that. Yep. Yeah. Anyways. So you can get piles of apps. Uh, the example that I've been talking about in the labs is like communications and social media. I have two piles. One is communications like email, Slack, um, you know, base camp, the stuff that I talk to coworkers, team members, and, and email, that is a pile. And I like the intentionality of not seeing that stuff when I'm not working on it. So when I want to do communications, I click that pile all those apps come up on my screen and I can work in them and I'm done. I do the same thing for social media like Twitter or the Max Berkey Labs Discord. That stuff is kind of like kept in a separate pile. And I never have the problem of those things showing up when I'm working, you know, on writing or producing or making things. So that's, that's a good example of a use. And it works universally. I can set up the pile on the iPad or I can set up on a Mac. I think that's kind of like the intended use of this. Um, but I also feel like it's really taken kind of a beating as I went through the beta process from, you know, people in general that are, are looking into these things and, and not without um, legitimate concern. You know, some of the implementation of this stuff hasn't been great, but it is another window management op- option. And I thought we should just kind of talk through it and what we think about it. Let's start with with the iPad because I think it's a bigger deal there. You know, Stage Manager 
I said this on Connected, and I was, but I really believe it, where stage manager brings the iPad up, right? It brings complexity and power to the iPad that we didn't have before. On the Mac, it, I would argue that it maybe does the opposite, that it simplifies the UI beyond expose and spaces and everything we have now. But on the iPad, it's it's a layer on top, right? On both platforms, it's a mode you go into from Control Center. So you can come in and out of Stage Manager whenever you want. It's a it's different than all, all of the other windowing we have on the iPad and Mac, like Split View, Slide Over, Expose, Spaces. Those are all kind of present all the time. And then you do something to invoke them. Stage Manager, you move in and out of completely. But while it does bring freeform windows on the iPad that may on the may in screenshots look like Mac OS window management type things. I have found stage manager to be difficult to, for me to dial in exactly what I want. The, the app sort of move between predetermined sizes and sometimes predetermined places. And it is much more freeing than split view or, slide over, but it's not 100% freeform sort of window management dance that we do on macOS. Yeah, I mean, it's it's familiar yet unfamiliar, you yeah. know, <laughs> because the way it works is you're supposed to be able to adjust your windows to any size you want like you would on the Mac, but it doesn't do that. There are like little cookie cutter templates that they can fit into and they snap to those templates. Mm-hmm. And that's not the end of the world. I mean, they, there are several different ways you can configure them. But if you're thinking it's going to work like it does on the Mac, it really doesn't. Yeah. Federico says something really smart in his article about it. He said it feels like the apps are on rails. Like, and in a sense, they are because this is. Uh, one thing about Stage Manager is this is new to iPadOS, but developers don't have to do anything to support it as long as they already support the multi-sizing, you know, split view slide over stuff, then they automatically get this. And that means that these apps, you know, if I'm in Safari on the Mac, I can make it pixel perfect the size that I want because I can move it, you know, grow it horizontally or vertically. Or again, these apps sort of snap in between some of their layouts. Some of them are more fluid than others. But developers can't do anything to make it better because Apple's in charge of the sizing and the placement. So if you're a third-party developer and you don't like something about the way your iPad app behaves in Stage Manager, you can make your overall windowing better. But you can't say, I'm in Stage Manager act a certain way because the, the app never knows it's in stage manager in the first place. On, on one hand, that's great because it means that this is adopted widely on day one because the apps just work with it. But maybe moving forward, Apple should allow developers to continue to tweak things because for some applications, it may make a lot of sense to show a different layout depending on kind of what's going on in stage manager that right now they don't, they don't have any control of it. Yeah. Um, you talked about earlier about the differences between iPad and Mac. And I think of it in terms of direction. Like for me, the iPad stage manager is a vertical improvement where, you know, it adds a feature of window management that we really never have had. Whereas on the Mac, it's lateral. It's like, it's another way to manage windows. And so the stakes, I think, are higher for the iPad because you don't have other options. You can't say, well, you know what? This doesn't work for me. I'm just going to use 
um, spaces. Well, I guess you can use spaces, but you know, yeah, sure. most people aren't, <laughs> you know, you know, it just, this is the one that like normal people are supposed to be able to use. And like the spaces I have found to be very inconsistent on iPad. Whereas like the grouping of communications apps that I do on, on Mac, well, I did that on iPad too. And I find this a significant improvement on iPad for me in terms mm-hmm. of trying to like keep things wrangled. Um, but it, it also, the whole thing requires a degree of fiddliness that, that really kind of itches, you know I mean? It's just like, why have I got to do this? Like, like on both platforms, like I'll open an app and it closes all the existing apps onto their pile and creates a new pile. Right. And sometimes you don't want to do that. And then you've got to do that dance where you try to combine this into the new pile. Mm-hmm. And like the setup process is fiddly and I'm not sure I have all the answers for it, but I think that is one of the areas of resistance that I'm feeling. Yeah. Stage manager on, on both platforms, it really wants to start life as a single window in a single space. Right. And that's how the iPad is mostly been until a slide over and and split view, but there should be options there. I think like, I, I thought about kind of like Safari tabs, right? Like, do I want a new window or do I want a new tab? Like, would there be a way to tell stage manager, you know what, if I open a new app, instead of creating a new stage for it, let it open wherever I am. And then if I want to move it out into its own, you know, I'll, I'll handle that. Apple's made a decision from one direction, but not the other on this. And that may not bother you at all. In fact, I think a lot of people, clearly a lot of people with an Apple, like the way that that operates. For me, though, it sounds like I'm with you. I don't necessarily want that to be the default, and I, I would change it because I very often have a bunch of apps open, and I don't think Stage Manager, while well, that could solve it somewhat, it's not going to solve it completely for me. And I don't, more so, I don't want to be swapping out between stages with all these animations all the time either. And so Apple just had to make a decision there, and it's, it's not a decision I would make, but it's, I'm hopeful that they will continue to refine that because right now you're doing a lot of cleanup after yourself, which is kind of the point of this is that you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if we're playing darts with window management, this is closer to the bullseye on the iPad than they've ever been. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, yeah, but they definitely. didn't hit the bullseye. Yeah. They didn't hit the bullseye yet. And, and maybe with some iteration, this can, can be further along. But I also think about like, again, using, my uh, non-techie wife like if i can sit down with her for a few minutes and just show her the basics of stage manager and implement it on her mac and her ipad i feel like it could really land with her whereas you know window management for her has always been a challenge and like things like spaces just don't compute i Mm -hmm. mean she's an intelligent woman don't get me wrong but she's not into this stuff right and like when i tell her oh your mail app is in a different space like, she's like, well, how am I supposed to know that? Right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's like there's an invisible screen to the left of this screen and you need to use a magic finger thing to get it. And like, she doesn't want to deal with that. But if you just say, oh, see that little pile on the left side with the mail icon, click that and you can get your mail. You know, mm-hmm. that is going to land. And if and if she gets used to it on the Mac and then it shows up on her iPad, she's going to already have the knowledge. I mean, I get exactly why they did it. But I do feel like, as like I think everybody else, that this definitely needs more time in the oven. Yeah, having a, a multi-window overlapping 
well, not really overlapping, but free kind of free form system on the iPad, like is more freeing than anything we've ever had before. And clearly a lot of people want app wanted Apple to move in this direction. I think the overall direction is good for the iPad. It's just some of the decisions, some of the things that it does aren't aren't there yet. And I do want to separate a little bit. There are still some bugs with Stage Manager where uh, I've seen like the bottom half of a window go black or part of the keyboard pops into a, an app window. It's like, why are you there? You know, th- there's definitely bugs with it. And those I trust will get fixed over time. What we're really f- trying to focus on is how it works, like what the ideas are behind it, because that's the bigger deal long term. Yeah. And I, I think they're going to stick with this for years. I don't think they're going to just like scrap this next year and try something else. I think they're going to stick with this and see if they can make it work. I think so too. You know, it's been every two, three, four years where we have this, a big multitasking shift with the iPad, right? If you think about the first split screen stuff, remember it was like that, that list of app icons on the right and it was impossible. (laughs) And then the slot machine. Yeah. yeah, So, so many questions about how that came to be. Uh, you know, we went through iOS eight and nine and then we got kind of what we have now. And then that became more powerful a couple of years ago. And now they're doing this, like they are continuing to build on this. Uh, for me right now though, I mean, I'm an iPad mini user, but I'm not itching to go back to a bigger iPad to use this, even though I want a more Mac like UI on top of uh, iPad OS. And I think this gives that, you know, gets that pretty far down the road. I wouldn't use it every, I wouldn't use it as it is. And so, you know, I'm willing to sit this out a year and kind of see, see where it gets. Cause I do think Apple, I think you're right. Apple's going to stay, stay on this. They've got to make this work. Yeah. And I, and I think honestly, it's in the right direction. I think it needs some work, but you know, I'm not as down on it as, um, as a lot of folks. I, I, I can see use for, it. I've really been trying to use it on my Mac. And there are parts of it that I don't like, but you know, I'm just trying to like hang in there with it and see where I can make it work. And like historically, I use spaces and automation apps to create window groupings or piles for me. But I do to a certain extent like it. And like there's a lot of complaints about this that are I think are not legitimate. Like the saying, well, it's taking up too much space on my Mac. Well, if you just make the window full size, it it slides off the end of the screen. You don't see it until you put your mouse over there. So it kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like th- they are doing things to make this more usable and, and, you know, kind of getting back to the theme here, intermediate users, this is going to be enough for them, you know, and yeah. power users are going to want more and they're not going to probably give it to them, you know, because that's not what they do. Um, but for a lot of people, this is going to be a window management solution that is grokkable. Is that a word? No, I love it. Yeah, man. Um, And that's why it's on both platforms, right? I spent some time this summer really kind of wondering is like, is doing this, the, this basically the same overlay in terms of multi window support on two very different platforms. Like why would Apple do that? And there are some differences in the two that we can talk about, but the core feature is the same on both where it creates new stages for everything. You can organize them yourself. You can reorder them. Like, oh, Oh, that's basically the same. But what I've sort of come to is, well, it's the same reason that settings got changed to look the way that it is, right? Apple's trying yeah. to make the migration, or not really even migration, but the flow of work and people between their different devices smoother. And so if you sit on your iPad and all the windowing looks the same as the Mac, 
then you're going to be more likely to move between them, right? Because you have less friction. And that's why it's on both. And I would imagine, I'm just really going to go on a limb here. I would imagine the percentage of iPad users that will adopt Stage Manager versus Mac users, I think iPad users will be higher because it does elevate the UI to be more computer-like. And a lot of people want that. You know, for, for me on the Mac, it is, uh, it's not replacing kind of mission control for me, but for a lot of people it will because they can have that, that same experience. Yeah, and, you know, kind of getting back to vertical versus lateral, there are so many options on the Mac, you know, and I don't think they're looking, like they didn't implement this and say, and we're taking spaces away from you, you know? They're like, we don't care. Use whatever system you want. Here's one more. I think that's really the attitude on the Mac, whereas on the iPad, they're really trying to solve a multitasking problem that's existed for years. Yeah. One thing on the Mac in particular I wanted to comment on is that while Stage Manager does not interact with Mission Control or some of the other uh, windowing things like split screen and full screen on the Mac, it does interact with spaces. And so you can continue to use spaces and each space will have its own instance of Stage Manager, if that makes sense. So maybe in your leftmost space, your piles are all different productivity applications Maybe your second space, all your piles are different media or social media applications. So I think that's actually pretty cool, and I'm glad they integrated it with spaces. And I think out of the other things in Mission Control, spaces and stage manager make the most sense together. Like, I don't even know how really it would do some of these other things, but um, they did tailor it a little bit for the Mac, but still at the heart of it, it is stage manager as it is on the iPad. And again, that's, that's by design smartly. And that like, that's something I'm experimenting with. Like I, I have historically had a separate space with an orange background. And to me in my brain, it's like, okay, orange communications. I don't know why I just chose that color and like keeping the spaces on that. I'm sorry, keeping the piles on that space is a way to further segregate myself from those types of distractions. So I have to go to the space then click the piles. And then, then I do have social media and like traditional, you know, communications as separate piles, or do I just keep them all on one, one screen? So I don't have to like move around. I haven't decided what works better for me yet, but that's the kind of flexibility you get with the Mac. Right. And we have the option. So, you know, I feel like a lot of people that are looking for a window management solution can integrate this to some degree. Yeah, Apple Apple needs this to be approachable. I mean, I think Apple really views this as, hey, this could be the future, like how a lot of people work on our devices. I think it is more approachable than sort of the rest of the stuff we have on the Mac. I mean, look, Mission Control is like four different features in one. And it's it's hard to talk about. It's hard to show somebody and like maybe they get it until you introduce spaces. Like um, you mentioned uh, Mrs. Sparky and how that, the complication shoots up for a lot of people at different points and apple needs to smooth those points out and i think stage manager is a good step in that direction if they can give more options to it if they can free up the ipad version to be a little more flexible uh, and if they can continue to support it on wider devices i mean it's still it's on a bunch of ipads but not all of them and the new 10th gen iPad clearly isn't going to get it. Like it's not a feature of that iPad at this point running on the A14. So some of that's going to slow them down too. 
uh, in terms of wider spread adoption, but they've got to take a, a swing at it, not only to fix the iPad, but to continue to make these platforms more in sync for those who want them to be similar. All right. I have two questions for you. Okay. Um, number one, do you think this is going to iterate over the point releases over the next year with these operating systems, or they're going to wait until next year to make like their changes to it? I want it to be the first. I want to see in 16.2 or 3 some of these things changing. Um, and I think they're going to do it. I think it's important enough for them at least to do some, do some tweaks. Like maybe we see something like a setting to, okay, don't create a new stage every time I open a new application. Um, it's not going to get a total rewrite. It's going to get a total like top to bottom rethinking. But I could see them continue to chip away at it before we get to WWDC next year. I totally agree. I think it's going to evolve over the next year. It's too important for them to wait a year. You know, if they do wait a year, it's a mistake in my opinion. Um, and if they can make those small iterations, like you're talking about a year from now, we may like it better. Second question. We are likely getting an, some sort of eyeglass, you know, headset thing from Apple next year. Uh, the rumor is it's going to be combined um, AR VR headset, you know, mm -hmm. so that's not like a pair of glasses. It's more like a thing you strap to your face. <laughs> it's like a helmet. <laughs> yeah. But, but assuming that's going to have more than one app in it, do you think that this, this uh, stage manager layout is something that they need for that as well? That, that one of the reasons why we're getting this now is because this is going to be used on the goggles, whatever they call them. You know, I think there's something to that for sure. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. I feel like it's like this is not a coincidence that this is coming right now. No, because thinking thinking about the other window management schemes that Apple has, like I don't know how well Stage Manager will be in AR slash VR. I don't know, but it would be better than Expose or Spaces, right? Like exactly, exactly. This one makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah. dude, that's that's like a good kind of conspiracy theory. I like it. Well, I don't really think conspiracy. Apple is always very deliberate in hindsight, right? Sure. And when they do stuff like this, you always wonder, well, where where does this puzzle piece fit in the future? And I think, you know, we're it's likely we're getting the goggles next year. You know, I mean, maybe even early next year. And I feel like, oh yeah, this is this is what they need. Mm -hmm. They need piles inside the glasses, right? I mean, how else would you do it? And um, uh, I think that's part of it too. But but also, there there was a real problem with uh, window management on iPad, and this is the best stab at it, in my opinion, they've taken so far, even though it does have some problems. Yeah, and f for those problems, it is consistent with how Apple has treated the iPad previously, where, again, like every few years, we'll see this iteration, but when they bring something to the iPad, it's not just a copy and paste from how the Mac does it, right? Which they could have done. Like, they could have brought something like Spaces or Mission Control to the to the iPad, but they took the opportunity to rebuild something that they thought clearly thought was better. And while it's not there yet, solving for a device that sometimes you use with your fingers and sometimes you use with the trackpad and sometimes you use with the, with the Apple pencil, like those are different things and they require different thinking than to what the Mac has had in some cases for 20 years in terms of features. And so that's, I think, the better route to take if the iPad really is a future version of computing. But it means that sometimes the first swings aren't going to be right because they are sometimes going up against a feature on the Mac that has been around 
for two decades. And it's rare that any company could get that right on day one. And so I think in all these conversations, I try to remember like, they're trying something new here. It may not work, but they do seem, while it's slower than we would like sometimes, they do seem willing to continue to make the iPad a better general computer. And this is like another step down that path. Either way, gang, we got some great software this year. Mac OS Ventura, uh, iPad OS 16.1, and iOS 16.1. Uh, big themes coming out of today's episode, which we we really didn't plan, but just this stuff kind of emerges as you record. But I do think the push towards intermediate productivity apps is a good thing. And, and the ability of Apple to ship across all platforms is a good thing. And uh, I'm a, I've been generally been happy with these. The betas have been pretty stable for me. I've not had problems. I didn't really have any hesitation to install them when they went public and, uh, and looking forward to seeing what they do next. Yeah. And we're going to keep up with things like Freeform and some of these other features that are coming a little bit later. Um, so if there's anything that, that, has it come out yet? Hasn't how we talk, how we haven't talked about yet? Uh, let us know because there's a lot of cool stuff going on, and you know, I think for me the, the the other theme is just moving between these devices more fluidly. Right, that this year they're closer than ever. They have their own interpretations of things, but sitting down an iPad and picking up a MacBook Air is kind of a better proposition than ever. Absolutely, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at Relay.fm/mpu. Thank you to our sponsors this week, Text Expander, Memberful, Indeed, and Clean My Mac X. We'll see you next time.